Amen. Can we hear it from Max? That was really awesome. I like that last one. <clears throat> How are we doing, people? Are we good? That was very half-hearted. How are we? Come on, let me hear something. All right, that was good. I like that. <clears throat> so my name is Jackson Christenberry. I'm one of the student ministry interns here at First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, tonight we're going to be continuing our seven series. Um, in this series, we've been talking about two paths, uh, one that will take you to life and one that will take you to death. Uh, we have been pairing up the Beatitudes, which if you don't know those are, they are a series, um, really just a teaching that Jesus gave um, in his big Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his, very, one of his most famous sermons. Um, and we're pairing those up with uh, some of the seven, one of the seven deadly sins. And they are as follows. Um, the sins are pride, envy, sloth, greed, lust, and wrath, which is what we're talking about tonight, as well as gluttony. And the Beatitudes are a lot longer. They are, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God, and daughters, of course. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, so I have a funny story for you guys. When I was in kindergarten, I was kind of in a gang. Just, just think about that for a second. Imagine little me in a gang, you know, me being a tough kindergartner, right? Me and my friend Clay made up my gang, right? And so uh, it was just me and him. We were just... To, I don't know. We were just awesome, basically, okay? So then we had uh, Jonathan, this kid named Jonathan, who I just did not like at all, um, and his gang of three other guys, right? So two against four. So every day at recess, for some reason, Jonathan would always hang out in the corner, and I, mean, I would always hang out with Clay under the slides because that, like that was our spot. And Jonathan had his spot over in the corner. So for some bizarre reason, every day, every day, or maybe it's my memory being weird, but every day, Jonathan would run with his gang to the sandbox, which was kind of by the side, and me and Clay would see him doing it, and we knew why. He wanted to play in the sandbox. There was always this cute little girl that would play in the sandbox, and they would always try to kick her out. And so, I mean, we're talking like get out, pushing her out, whatever they had to do to get that sandbox. So me being the hero that I am, I would go, and I would get between Jonathan as much as I could, and I always thought Clay was behind me, but he always stayed back and kind of like hid behind the slide. Um, but... I would run as fast as I could, and I'd get right between Jonathan and the little girl. I don't remember her name. Um, and I'd be like, Jonathan, stop. And my kid voice, Jonathan, stop. <laughs> I'm going to beat you up, man. Maybe my, like, these threats, right? And so I'd be telling him these things. And usually, I mean, it was, it was a complete bluff. I mean, kind of. Um, and so I would, be, I would bluff, and usually that's all it took, because all it took was just me saying that, and he would be like, he would give some threats, and I would give some more. And then he'd go and, like, back to his corner and Clay would hold the little girl's hand for the rest of the day because he did something. I was the one, and Clay got it every time, every time. Gosh, um, so, <laughs> gosh, I'm remembering this as I'm telling it. Um, so I would, basically, yeah, so that was my kindergarten. Needless to say, the principal and I were pretty good friends. Um, so with that in mind, I want you guys to try something with me. Will you kind of, bow your heads, and we're not going to pray, but I want you guys to close your eyes and just think about what I'm going to say. Kind of like imagine in your head. Oops, it's my hand. All right, so uh, imagine you're at school, okay? Close your eyes. 
Close your eyes. I see you. Close your eyes. Imagine you're at school. You're walking through the halls, and you see someone being bullied. Let's say there are two upperclassmen are picking on a freshman because he's just a little different. You hear them calling him all sorts of names and see them throw his books on the ground as they walk away. As he bends down to pick his books up, you make it to your class and are reminded that you have a test that day. Thank goodness you studied. The teacher passes out the test and you are off to a good start, so you look around as you get distracted. But as you are looking around, you see that annoying kid at the front of the class cheating off your best friend. And you, that just makes you so mad because you know how much work your friend has put into that because you two studied all together last night. Then after school that day, you're feeling pretty good about the test. You're heading home, and you notice a homeless person on the side of the street. You notice how dirty they look and how unhappy they are. Your eyes then wander down to the sign that they're holding, which reads, War Veteran, can't hold down a job because of lower mental capacity. Please help. All right, now open your eyes. Now, do you guys feel that kind of in your stomach? It's kind of like an anger. I, I call it a thirst for justice, basically. It's just that feeling that you know that's not right. You know what you're seeing is not right. It's, it's broken. It's the, the cheating, the, the war veteran, and just the bullying. It's just it's not right, and it makes you mad, and it gives you that hungering for justice. Um. This is what we're going to be talking about tonight, and it kind of takes you on two different paths. But before we do that, I want to say that this desire for justice that you have is a good thing. It's good, like, it's good that, I mean, God has given you this. I mean, it's a God-given thing. It shows you in the world what is broken and what needs to be fixed. The desire, that is, hello. The desire for justice helps us become aware of the kingdom of heaven, as you can see. Um, what I mean by that is that because we're able to see, and we kind of know it with that feeling, because we're able to see and feel that it's not right, we know what is right. And that's a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven. And that's what should, that's what heaven should look like here on earth, and that's kind of our jobs as Christians. So, as we're talking about this desire for justice, we're also talking about these two paths, right? And so, this, this desire for justice can lead you on two different paths. The path to death, or the path to life. Now, first, I want to talk about the path to death. Uh, this path is characterized by wrath, uh, in, if, in terms of this hungering for justice. Uh, the best example I can give is the one that I gave before with me in kindergarten. Um, you know, I would go, and I, this hungering for justice would kind of make me, i go and i get behind, you know, right in front of a little girl, and i protect her. And that's good. That's, that's me hungering for justice, and that's a good thing. But the thing is, is that I would take it too far, and I would say, you know what? I'm going to hurt you because you're trying to hurt her. And that's where wrath comes in. That's where God's like, peace out. That's, I'm, not, I'm not a part of that. He, this is, you are, you are, wrath basically embraces the age-old phrase. Don't get mad, get even. I have a slide there. Just boom. Um, it, it makes you think that because you've been harmed or because somebody has showed you injustice, that you should, so, you, you should show them injustices or just other people injustices. Basically, this is a really bad thing. Um, it creates a trickle-down effect. What, what that, what the, hello, I'm getting tripled on my words. What I mean by that is that this trickle-down effect, so you, so, so think about in the case of a bully. Usually, one in seven people, and this is a fact I researched online, one in seven people experience some form of bullying by the time they graduate. 
And I want to go and say, I mean, there's more than seven people in here, so there's more people. But I want to say that I'm one of those people. Um, I, uh, in eighth grade, uh, my home economics class, every day I would walk into class and they would call me fat. I would sit down and they would spend the entire class insulting me. I wasn't a fat kid. I was a bigger kid for sure, but I wasn't a fat kid. But they made me believe that I was. Um, I was bullied every single day of that class. Um, and it just, I never understood why. And so one day, I remember I was driving, or I wasn't, my mom was. Um, my mom was driving, and the car in front of us, I knew it was the bully's car. I had seen him get into it a bunch of times. It had a couple stickers on the back that, I mean, I could remember pretty well. And I remember looking at it and seeing, um, just watching them, I was like, oh, that's him. I, me in my mind, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't like him. Please don't let him see me. Um, but I remember as they're pulling into the parking lot for high school, um, the dad, one of the hand on the wheel starts beating his son as much as he can. With one arm on the wheel, he's punching his son as hard as he can. And the son is fighting back. The son, the the bully is fighting back. And in that moment, I realized it made sense. It made sense that why he'd done what he had done to me, why he was so adamant about bullying me. And it was because he'd been bullied at home. It's it's this trickle-down effect. Because you hurt somebody else, you feel the need, or because somebody else hurts you, you feel the need to hurt somebody else, and it goes on and on and on. And I remember... My mom calls these the dark years of my life because I bullied. I wasn't nice to my mom's friends. I wasn't nice to my mom or my dad. And it just wasn't a good time uh, in my life, basically, because I had chosen to embrace wrath. Think about how lonely this lifestyle is. Think about how, I mean, think about it. The wanting others to suffer isn't the best quality to have in a friend. You don't want to be around people that just want you to suffer. I remember the bully, he only had friends, the only friends he had were friends that were too, that just, I'm going to be friends with you because I don't want to be bullied by you, basically. It wasn't real friendship, it was just like, I'm going to say I'm friends so we don't get bullied. This just makes you so lonely, and loneliness is the opposite of what God wants for you. He created us to share our lives with our friends, our family, and God himself especially. And that's why I say that wrath is inherently a deadly sin because it separates us from those we ought to embrace and cherish as fellow children of God. So now that we understand wrath a little bit more, I want to talk about the path of life. And this um, this has more to do with peace, which is the characteristic of it. Um, I think the best way to do this is to let Jesus do the teaching and kind of step out for a second. Um, so in the in the Gospel of Luke... Verse 15, verse 11, Jesus tells this story of what most people today refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. You've probably heard it once or twice. So I'm going to read it right here. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. 
So I'm going to stop here um, and kind of paint the picture of what's going on. So you've got these two sons and this dad, right? And one of the sons comes up to the dad one day and is like, you know what? I really don't care about being your son. I really don't care about you. I just want half of what you have. That's what he's saying. And so the dad, being insane, says, you know what? Sure, why not? Let's, let's give you what, you, what, I'm go- what you're going to get when I die, half of it. So the son, a couple days later, decides, you know what? I'm done with this. I can't be here anymore. So he leaves, and he goes and spends his money on wild living. Now, wild living can be thought of as many different things. I think of it as gambling, alcohol, party time, basically, if you will. Um, and also, one of, my, one of the translations I read said prostitution. So, I mean, it's not the best stuff. It's meaningless stuff. So he, all of a sudden, I imagine one day, he just kind of like, like what you do with your debit card sometimes, where all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I don't have money on it. Oh, crap. One of those things. He has one of those moments where he's like, I am broke. And so he freaks out. He's like, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, this famine hits the land. And so he's freaking out. So he, starts try- he tries to find a job, right? And he finds this job with this farmer. And the farmer um, has him feed the animals, basically. And he feeds, um, he has to feed the pigs, this, these pigs, these Pig pogs, there's the words. I have a picture of them. They don't look very appetizing, do they? They look very dry, very um, nasty, if you ask me. Ugh. Um, I've also seen, just like in the movies and stuff, and this is what I thought when I first read it, so I wanted to say. Um, the, you know, have you ever seen, well, basically pig food is just compost. It's just vegetables mixed in with um, mud, basically. And so this is what pigs eat. Um, it looks like vomit and, and mud mixed together, basically. So just that's what I'm thinking of when I'm seeing this. So he's saying that this looks appetizing. Okay. So as he's th- he's like, oh my gosh, I think that's appetizing. I need my my dad. Even his servants have good food to eat. He treats his servants well, and so he goes back to he goes back to uh, or well he doesn't go back. He starts thinking about. Um, he's like, I'm going to go back to my dad and say, I'm sorry, and stuff like this. And so he starts, he starts thinking, like, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. He starts going through his head what he's going to say because he wants to say the best thing he possibly can to get his father to take him back, basically. So let's get back into it at verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I want you to pay attention to that. Because the son of mine was dead and, was, and has now returned, he was lost, but now he is found. I think that's great. Um, I want to make this real again for you. So you've got the son. I imagine him walking home, and he's beaten, so he's just kind of like shrugging his feet kind of thing as he's walking. And all of, I just I picture him looking up, and his dad being like right there, and his dad's about to tackle him because he's so happy to see him. So dad's coming at him. He's like jumping, and he embraces his son. He gives him kisses, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to see you. And the son is like, whoa, what? And so he freaks out, and then he's like, oh, i got to say the thing I was thinking about. So he starts reciting what he had thought or what he had come up with to tell his dad. But I really, honestly, I don't think the dad even heard what he was saying. I think the dad's so happy he's back that the dad's just like talking as he's talking. He's like, quick, get the finest robes, get rings, get sandals. We've got to kill a calf for some reason. 
we got a party. Like, he's, he's freaking out because his son is back, you know? And that's amazing. But it's crazy, I think. So, um, this is what I want to say a life, to pe- a life devoted to peace looks like. Um, it looks crazy. <laughs> Not really. It's great. Um, the, the way the father thinks and goes about things is completely uh, just different to the way I think things are today. He, he doesn't think twice to forgive his son. He doesn't think, because you've sinned against me, I'm going to sin against you and say, screw you. He doesn't think that. He says, you know what? Because you've sinned against me, I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to give you back your place in my heart. Um, <coughs> sorry about that. He, he, his mindset changes from there has been an injustice done to me, so I'm going to do the same to others, to a mindset that says there has been an injustice done to me, let me be a part of amending it. And the way he acts, like I talked about, like he runs, he meets his, he comes to his son. His son has, I imagine, I, I really think that the dad knew, kind of, or had heard rumors or something like that, because just, he, he comes to his son and it just embraces him and says, I love you, I forgive you, I'm so happy you're back. This is why I say that forgiveness is the first step to the path to peace. Um, the difference between those who live in wrath and those who live in peace is forgiveness. Um, which is why our beatitude is, wait for it, God blesses the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. And I say that the peacemakers... Peacemakers are people that embrace forgiveness. Peacemakers are people that don't think twice to forgive and help to bring wholeness to the brokenness of our world. And something really cool to think about as well is that the trickle-down effect that I was talking about with wrath is the same thing with forgiveness. When you forgive others, they're inclined to forgive others, basically. I feel like if I had forgiven that bully, he might have had a second thought to maybe start forgiving his dad and maybe stop bullying others because I know I wasn't the only one. And maybe I would have forgiven my parents for something they hadn't done to me. Um, I would forgive the bullies, and it would have just made everything better. It would have shown the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And this is the kind of world I want to live in, the kind of world where everybody embraces peace, everybody forgives, everybody doesn't, get held up on the little things that happen to us. We look at each other and we say, look, we're both broken. I forgive you, and we're going to move through it, work through it. So uh, will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this time of worship. We thank you so much for Max, and we thank you so much for Blake, and we just thank you for everybody here. God, we ask that um, you teach us to forgive teach us to be peacemakers. You teach us to be um, your servants. And may we forgive those that may have harmed us, may have shown us some injustice, because we know that when we are peacemakers, we are your children, God. And we thank you for that. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.